and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. I am your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I am joined as always by Adam Magnus Cook. Great to be here, Blaine. We are streaming today live from Genosha. Quick warning, everyone. We will be spoiling this month's comic, so proceed with caution. Adam, take it away. What did we read this month? This month, we read House of M by Brian Michael Bendis and Olivier Coipel, which was a massive Marvel event storyline where the Scarlet Witch creates an alternate reality in which mutants are the dominant species on Earth and all the heroes seemingly living the lives they've always wanted. Once Wolverine remembers his former reality, he recruits the rest of the X-Men, the Avengers, and basically every Marvel hero in between to track down Wanda Maximoff and return things to normal. That's right. And the reason we picked this book, we kind of touched on this last episode, is we're going down a deep dive of Marvel event comic books, baby. And, you know, back in the 80s, there was Infinity Gauntlet. We thought about doing that one. We probably still might. There was Secret Wars. No, Secret Wars in the 80s, Infinity Gauntlet later. But this book kicked off a series of Marvel events that spans the 2000s, which kind of aligned the Marvel line for a long time. And this really is the start of it. Whenever I first jumped into comics, I jumped in here. And I got to say, I was I was green around my superhero gills. I was a little lost, and this time kind of coming back, I you know I understood a little bit more. There had been more context. The MCU movies have been out. Adam, I know this is your first time reading it. What did you think of this book? Oh, I loved it. I, I just, you know, it made me kind of wish that I had read it at the time, and I was thinking kind of that these, these big events and the crossovers, that would be a really fun time to get into the comic scene. Cause it kind of just like gets you super excited. Their pace, you know, that's usually kind of like one and a half months in between comics. Like this one came out in eight installments and I bet it was, it took about a year, I bet. Um, and so it, you know, enough to keep you going. And then there's all these little offshoots, the side stories and the tie-ins that you can really kind of go down different paths depending on which characters you like. And it's got all these characters that you're familiar with. So you're kind of just like, you recognize things. And um, and like all great comics, it has a ton of nods to things in the past and the kind of like infinite history of comics that you will forever be exploring once you get into comics. This was one too. So like event books are kind of strange in a way because some people love them. And and I, for one, generally, for the most part, love them. But the problem is that if you're reading, you know, X-Men or if you're reading Avengers and you're doing some storyline of some creator that you like, all of a sudden you get transported into House of M world, you're kind of confused and it kind of forces you to have to read the the event if you want to kind of keep up. So some people don't like them for that reason. Well, it just in... You know, especially like a more recent trend is to kind of have an event kind of either happening or on the horizon. Um, it sort of seemed that they would be popping up more and more because you kind of saw 
that they recognize like the financial potential and having all these tie-ins and getting people to, you know, buy yeah. multiple comics and things that they wouldn't normally read because they're interested in this one big event that they're promoting. And they, you know, they hire usually some of their top talent to come work on these things. And, um, but yeah, it, it can definitely throw you off. And then I think when you do more of those events, they become less important and they get watered down. And then the hit rate is just way lower because, you know, House of M is great, but there's, you know, I'm sure plenty of terrible events. And then you're right about the financials too. And I don't think there was any of that in this book, but, you know, we all know those, those little editor call outs where it's like, to find out what happens to Wolverine, you got to read X-Men House of M edition over here. Yeah, it's only fun when uh, Stan Lee was writing them. Um, and this was one that was actually unique as well. I think they did it with Age of Apocalypse, where the entire Marvel Universe during this year changes completely, and it's a whole new reality. Obviously, the, it's the House of M reality, where it, it flips the, you know... X-Men were kind of, whenever they were created, it was kind of created as um, an allegory um, for racism in America, where there's, there's you know, mutants uh, represent African-Americans, and then you have the Xavier as kind of like the, you know, MLK figure, and then Magneto, who's more the sort of Black Panther Party, Malcolm X figure, and then this whole book completely flips it so... Mutants are the dominant species, and then sapiens in this are the ones who are on the underground, who are struggling, and um, that reversal, which we're led to believe is Magneto's plan all along, and it was him who influenced. Um, what, what did you think of, we're going straight into the end here, um, the, you know, there's a couple big reveals in this book, but I think one of the biggest was you know, what caused this? It was Magneto. They're, we're going after Magneto the whole time. It's called House of M. And then it gets revealed at the very end that it's his son. What, what did you think of that? I thought that was really well executed. Um, I thought it, you know, I really did think it was Magneto pretty much the whole time. And when they did do the Pietro drop, they really did a good job of kind of like wrapping it all together and showing how they had previewed it, how they had kind of did a little preview it early on when, you know, Pietro was having this confrontation with Magneto at the very beginning when he knows that the X-Men and the Avengers are on their way to presumably kill Scarlet Witch, which is what they talked about doing. And we just kind of, you know, Magneto says, what would you have me do? And that's kind of the end. Um, and you don't know that Pietro then went and took it upon himself to go and talk to Scarlet Witch and get her to start manipulating reality. And it's kind of, you know, that like they have a this very, you know, time-tested brother-sister bond that's really, um, it's always been a huge part of their dynamic and their like characters. And it really made sense when that reveal happened that it was him and not, and not Magneto it made way more sense that it would be him because he was so concerned about his sister. Yes. Yeah, he's dealt with Omega-level mutants, and he knows that there kind of does come a time when you have to sort of take action or, you know, do something about it because he doesn't want mutants to, you know, people to hate mutants because she goes off and does something crazy, which ultimately happens. Um, Let's get into some of the history stuff, but before we do that... 
where do you think this story stands like standing on its own? So both Adam and I kind of did some external reading where we read some, you know, some prequels and stuff, which we're going to kind of get to here. But I wanted to kind of, as we visit these events, Adam, touch on, can you just drop into House of M and know what's going on and read it? Like where, like rate it, give us a rating here. What do you think? Um, well, okay. So if one is the least accessible wherein you would have to read, you know, huge volumes of books to catch up. And 10 is the most accessible where it would just drop you in and you have every every clue of what's going on. I would put this, ooh, you know, I'd put this probably at like a seven. I think it's a little bit on the friendlier side of introducing things and kind of explaining um the powers and why things are different and kind of um, parceling out the information to where you are still constantly finding out new information. It kind of has this really nice, you know, mystery aspect to it. Um, But there was definitely a sense that when I started reading it, I saw a couple references to people who had died before, especially when Hawkeye came back to life that I just wanted to know, okay, what exactly happened here? Right. And in that same respect, um, at the end, I just wanted to find out what was going to happen next because they had made such a huge, huge, uh, like move with that final, you know, the way that it ends in Scarlet Witch eradicating all the mutants basically from the earth that you just wonder how they're going to get back on track basically. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I'd say I agree with, it's funny cause I was talking to um, our buddy, Barry Lucina shout out and he's like, Ooh, how you're, y'all are doing house of M. That is a rough one. I was like, rough. What do you mean? He's like, man, I just remember reading that and not understanding a lick of it. And, and I got to say, whenever I first read this, um, I don't think it was much the story that I didn't understand as much as you really have to know your Marvel characters. And the Marvel Avengers in this book looks way different from what we see on screen and from way different from if you go to a comic shop now and see what the Avengers looks like. There's, you know, these people that even I, you know, I'm looking up some of these people. I'm like, Jessica, uh, Jess, Jessica Drew. Okay, that's Spider-Woman. I don't really know anything about her. You know, there's just, you you have to know your X-Men. And once you kind of get that context, I think you can pick up the story easily. I think Bendis is a good storyteller. But, I mean, and that's something I wanted to touch on is this is an ensemble story. Did I say that right? Ensemble? Yeah, ensemble. Um. There are so many characters in this, but something I loved is in these events, it's good to ground it with a main protagonist. And this one has Wolvie, baby. It's nice, like, just following Wolverine throughout this book. I'm glad that you brought that up because I was going to mention at some point that he was, in my opinion, the perfect protagonist to pick for this. Because he's just kind of like this no-nonsense dude who basically just, like, calls it as he sees it. And he's just over it. He's been alive for hundreds of years at this point, and he's just, he's seen all this shit before. So he's just kind of trying to deal with it. And he just has, he's got this great everyman quality, despite the fact that he's, you know, a fucking superhuman. Um, and he's, you know, maybe my f- second favorite comic book character after Batman, I would say. Absolutely. And he's so sort of 
like you said, because he has so much history, he's pulled back from like the politicization of what's right, what's or or what people think should happen. He just believes what is right and what is wrong. And whenever he's first dropped in, he protects the sapien from mutants who were, you know, trying to hurt her. And that was just one of the things is just he helps people. He just helps people. And he knows that this is not reality. This is not right. We have to return it to normal. He doesn't think twice about, well, should this be? Well, should we reconsider? Yeah. Is this better? He he just he just is very unflinching in his belief of right and wrong, and I love that. So let's jump over to the history. I wanted to kind of talk about Avengers Dissembled because that is a big setup for this book. When we you know open the pages of House of M, we find Wanda, who is you know a shell of a mutant um, from her time during Avengers Dissembled, and she is in captive or in hiding with Xavier and Magneto. Adam, can you kind of fill us in on on what happened in Avengers Dissembled that led us to this point? So basically in Avengers um, Disassembled, she pretty much just, she essentially lost her mind. She found out that uh, she had created fake children, essentially, because she can control reality. She can kind of create things, then make them a part of reality. She's not allowed to have children. Um, She can't physically have children, I should say. She's not allowed. It's not a way, not the right way to phrase it. She can't physically have children. Um, She's married to Vision. She wants to have children. And so she essentially conjures them with her powers. Yes. And a very powerful psychic finds out that this happened and does away with the children, essentially, and you know, removes them from reality. And then they block that memory from Scarlet Witch's mind, which is never a good idea. Nope. And when she finds out, she pretty much loses her mind and she basically kills Ant-Man. She sends back um, Captain Britain. Who is it? I can't remember who it is. Not Um, sure. Some Avenger, yeah. Some Avenger who was already dead comes back and explodes the Avengers mansion, killing Ant-Man. Hawkeye ends up dying in this. Oh, it's like Union Jack or something like that. Union Jack. Hawkeye ends up dying in a huge battle. Vision ends up dying um, in this huge battle. And there's this insane psychic war going on that no one can understand why it's happening. And she's all controlling it. And, um, and then at the end, she finally, someone gets through to her and makes her realize what she did, and she just has another psychic break. That's right. So this is a pivotal part in the Marvel history where, you know, Avengers was running, and they bring in Bendis to kind of, let's start a new status quo. Let's kind of reset the board here. And he begins with that story that Adam just describes, where he completely disassembles the Avengers. And because the public perception of the Avengers is, oh my gosh, their mansion blew up and, and you know, one of your own killed, you know, the other Avengers, they dissemble and they say, you know, we're not the Avengers anymore. Um, they finally break up. They finally break up. That leads into Bendis starts writing new Avengers, which happens like, I think a year before this book. So that's, that's just the start of that. Um, but let's go over um, to best lines. So that's kind of the premise that sets up the story. Hopefully that provided you a little bit of background into where we are. Um, we're going to get into our best lines where we call out our favorite pieces. I'll go ahead and start. 
for those um, reading the comics, this is in issue one, and they're talking about what to do with the Scarlet Witch problem. Okay, she just completely like went ballistic. Things could get worse. She is an Omega level mutant. What should we do? And and they start saying we need to kill her. We need to probably put her down. Spidey says so. Like. If any of my powers wig out on me, I can count on you to just kill me? And Logan says, yeah, hope I can count on you to do the same. Classic freaking Wolverine right there. Classic. Just a sobering gut punch. Says it like it is. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's happened many times where his powers have wigged out and mind control. And he's just like, kill me. Like, he's just like, stop me. That That's his, his nightmare is that he goes against like his own team. So I, I love that. What do you got, Adam? Yeah, he's afraid of his own powers. I got another early one. Um, They're trying to decide still what to do with Wanda. And this, I read it digitally, so I didn't have it broken up um, by books. But this was on page 19 in my edition. And Captain America says, there is always a way. And Wolverine just says, not always. (laughs) That came right after that line where I just said, and it was just that... Captain America, man, he's always trying to find the good. And and it's, again, it's Wolverine just always saying it like it is. I know. Right after that, he again says, always. Like, he can't help himself. But that's what makes him great. And that's what makes Wolverine great. I love it. Um, I have one. And this touched on what we were kind of talking about before. And it's Jessica Drew, who is the Spider Woman. And they're about to storm House of Magnus and try to end this whole thing. And she delivers this speech in the hangar. She says, weren't we happier here? I was. I think I was. Wasn't everybody? They gave us what we always wanted. And isn't there an argument that we deserve to get this? To be happy for once? And that goes back and forth a couple times with Logan, who, again, is the guy who's just calling it like it is. And he's saying, you're going to regret. You're going to be embarrassed saying that. You're going to regret saying that. But I thought it was an important point for somebody to look at kind of the facts of the situation. And what did Wanda actually do is not only give Pietro and Magneto their wish for a mutant society, a a peaceful mutant society, but everybody has their wish, right? They're all living their wish of what they wanted their lives to be. So they're all kind of living a happier life. I mean, it, and I, I, that is something to kind of consider. That is, that does create kind of like this moral dilemma of, should we actually stop this? Aren't we in this good? It's not real. And you don't play God. <laughs> okay. There you go. Those are the two big lessons. It's not real and you don't play God. But you know what? On the heels of that, I have a great line on that exact same page. At the very end of it, everyone has been freaking out. Jessica Drew is talking about leaving things the way they were. Spider-Man's about to have a nervous breakdown. Wolverine just probably wants a beer. And uh, Cyclops, rallying the troops, says, Everybody done? Okay. Three teams. And I just love Cyclops being the leader, just taking this crazy meeting by the hair and saying like this is what we're doing because a few pages earlier he had started to tell everyone the plan and he said we're going in three teams and then he gets cut off there's two pages of argument and he finally brings it all back around and that's just cyclops you know just being the captain 
He is. He is. That that's a great call out. That is very Cyclops line. Um, my last one is at the very end, and it's Hank Pym talking over uh, this pullout shot of Earth, where you're just zooming further and further out, and he's speaking, I believe, to a reporter on the television. He says, "And all this energy, speaking of um, Wanda's no more mutant energy, the energy of thousands of mutants, it didn't all just disappear." I'm asking, where did it all go? It's Sir Isaac Newton's third law of physics. Everyone knows it. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I'm asking, what will be the reaction? And that's just classic Bendis being the master of... The, I mean, this this comic had you know a resolution. It, it, it sort of ended, and then... It, it just leads straight to the next thing. And you're like, I, oh, you're like, whoa. I mean, that these are big implications that, that just happen here. And what is going to happen next? So I, I, I thought that was a great ending. Yeah, it ended, but it's not over. All right. Well, I love that. Um, my last one, and this one I love because I feel like this is when a character is just uh, channeling the audience. This was late in... Late in the story, page 176 in my edition, um, reality's back to normal, and what's left of the Avengers go back to the mansion, the former Avengers mansion that's been destroyed, and they see Hawkeye's uniform displayed on the wall, pinned to the wall by arrows, and there's a newspaper article also pinned by an arrow that says, you know, Hawkeye dead, mystery surrounds the fallen hero's fate, and at the bottom panel... Captain America is just smiling, happy as hell. And then Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel, I'm not sure who she is at this point, but she goes, this is the audience. She goes, what does this mean? What does this mean? <sighs> you said it, sister. That's all we're all asking. What does this mean? That's it. All right, let's jump into the next segment. This is they're the best at what they do. This is where we like to go over the creators. I'm going to talk, I'm going to start with the penciler. So Olivier Coipel, Coipel, Olivier Coipel, he's a French comic book artist. This guy has chops. He started out as an animator uh, working on the, you know, cartoons like Balto, Prince of Egypt, and Road to El Dorado. So, you know, he put in the work, put in the time. Um, some of his other work, he was at DC for Legion of, of Superheroes. He obviously did this House of M. He's worked with Bendis a couple times, and then he worked for a long time on Thor. And then after this, Young Avengers. So that's kind of his high points. I wanted to call out uh, the inker of this, which I think did a great job, Tim Townsend, and then Frank D'Armada, who did the colorist. Uh, obviously, this is digital coloring in this book. But I wanted to get to our boy... Brian Michael Bendis. Um, I have an attachment to Brian, Brian Michael Bendis because, as we said in the Zero episode, one of my favorite books is Daredevil, and that's kind of how I got into comics. But let me just kind of give you an overview of Bendis, and then, and then Adam, I kind of wanted to get your take on him and just ha how you feel about him as a writer. He he kind of called out his influences, which I thought this was striking, and I wanted to call out David Mamet. Richard Price, and then Aaron Sorkin, whose dialogue Bendis feels are the best in any medium. 
I think that speaks to whenever I think about Bendis, it's yes, he actually can pull off badass plot moments, but I think what makes him so good in my mind is really capturing characters like the, there's kind of this this thing where he has them sitting around eating cereal or sitting in the back of, you know, the Quinjet talking philosophy or it's it's the character moments that I think he nails and whenever he cites those screenwriters who are really kind of like dialogue centric I think that kind of came into focus with me. What do you think about that Adam? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got a real talent for character interactions and dialogue specifically and it makes sense that he would identify with people like Mamet and Sorkin. Sorkin is just the king of TV dialogue as far as I'm concerned. Best at the walk and talk game. Best at the walk and talk. I broke down his bibliography in a different era. So here, here's the eras. His first is when he came up doing indie. I call this the Indian crime era. And I'm calling out Jinx, Sam and Twitch, which is in the Spawn universe, and then Powers. Um, those are his sort of street level crime, murder stuff. That's kind of where he got started. Then this next era is his early Marvel era. Early Marvel era, Daredevil, which I called out. He had a something like 70-issue run on Daredevil. Um, next, Ultimate Spider-Man. This guy created Miles Morales. I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man is a huge, huge book that is a blind spot in my reading list. Then another one of his creations, Jessica Jones... Uh, and he wrote Alias. That's another kind of street-level crime book. So those are his kind of street-level heroes, you know, boots on the ground. And I, I I just love that he started there. And then that moves us to what I call the architect of Marvel era, where he is going through these events, House of M. He does New Aven- Avengers starting in 2005. And it, it's here he kind of really positioned Luke Cage as a prominent member. So again, he he really digs the street level guys. He created Maria Hill, which everybody could probably recognize from the MCU. Uh, he also did Mighty Avengers, but really just event comics and Avengers during that time. Uh, his next era is his late Marvel work. And this is when, you know, he wasn't, maybe as prominent but he was trying to ju- he was jumping around to some different franchises so he helmed x-men for a while he helmed iron man franchise for a while and then uh, wrote guardians for a long time as well into 2018 when he made a huge move across to dc comics and i remember chatting with adam when that like news story broke i was just like bendis writing DC, what is this? You never know. I feel like a lot of times <clears throat> the greats, they wanted they wanted a chance at the other side. The grass is always greener, and they're always like, man, I've always wanted to do a Superman story. They do, and, and I think like as I was kind of going through his books, I mean, he wrote all the kind of big stuff. It's like kind of where do you sort of go once you've written all the big boys. I mean, I guess he never really wrote like a Captain America comic, but I mean, there's there's only so much you can do. Once you go to a new universe, the options are endless. So since 2018, he's been helming Superman in action comics, as well as uh, Wonder Comics, which has Justice League, kind of his, his younger uh, YA kind of line, which is actually very good. Um, he's won five Eisner Awards over his time, and that is 
Brian Michael Bendis, Olivier Coipel, Tim Townsend, and Frank Diarmada, the best at what they do. Let's go straight into the Art Awards. Adam, why don't you start it off? This is the segment where we call out panels, pages, you know, maybe a couple pages that we loved. Adam, what do you got? The first Art Award that I have is on page 15, we got a full two-page spread of basically all the heroes that have been gathered together. And I give this award, I give this the Gangs All Here Award, um, because you're just getting your full spread. And this is kind of very early on in the story, and it's nice to see them all together so early on. A lot of times it takes, you know, takes a whole issue or something for that to happen. Yeah, me and Adam were comparing... Art Awards right before we started recording. And I think there's a couple of these <laughs> which we'll visit. And I think that leads into my first award, which is the most astonishing panel. And it is also an issue one. I believe it's the page before Adam's call out when you just see and the X-Men have arrived and you see the astonishing X-Men walking up beast Cyclops, Wolverine, Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, and what is the big boy with the medal? Colossus, bro. <laughs> Duh. Um, there's something about just seeing those hero shots, either sitting around a table like in yours or just walking smugly that just gets you fired up. Uh, I love it. I love that shot. I love that awards. I love the Astonishing X-Men. I really like the way that they do Wolverine. They really nailed it. And, and I got to say, like, those astonishing costumes are the best costumes. I love those those designs. They're so classic. Yeah, they're so classic, but they feel like they're updated in a really nice way. Big time. Big time. And, and this is like Cat Beast era, where he's he kind of does the mutation yeah. where he's he's, you know... Feline. It's a good amount of cat beast though, because he doesn't have like some of them. He has like a huge snout and stuff. Yeah, this one he still looks a little humanoid. He still has pecs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's still he's still mostly man. I think. I don't know about that. He's beast. He's all beast, baby. He's beast. He was a man. Okay, my next award. Jumping forward, uh, page thirty-three. You've got a scantily clad Emma Frost. And uh, I'm going to give this the Vavavoom Award. Yeah, I think I think you could give that award to any time Emma Frost is on a comic book page because, man, artists love to draw Emma Frost. She is, she is. And her costumes are, you know, they're, she doesn't like, you know, she likes to show a little skin. She does. She's not afraid of it. It's, it's you know... One of her powers. My next award is the Goodbye Old Friend Award. And this is at the end of of issue five. And the whole time we're kind of wondering, where is Xavier? What's going on? And And in this shot, we see a forlorn Magneto walk out to the Xavier Memorial Garden where he's looking at this rock and it has a placard. Xavier Memorial Garden, he died so Genosha could live. And that's the final 
page of that issue. And I just thought that was so powerful where, again, we were led to believe Magneto created this and for the mutant to rule in this world, Xavier basically had to die. And I thought that was just, you know, a sad thing because Magneto and Xavier's relationship is so fraught and so much history there. Yeah. Very up and down relationship. I got a a question about that. Do you think that was maybe almost even like a nod to the fact that it could have been Pietro um, Quicksilver in charge of it all? Because would Magneto want Xavier dead? He was like his best friend, even though that they, you know, obviously have this fundamental differing philosophy. They, I I feel like he, I don't know. I feel like he always wanted him to be alive. He, w- he would want him to see this world, is what I think. Yeah, and I got to say, the whole time I was reading this, I was a little confused about Xavier's story because they kept showing these panels, if you remember this, Adam, where Xavier looks like he's held captive in this church and there's these three shadowy figures like hovering over him. And it would kind of keep... I, it did it twice, where, where like Logan would be like, Xavier, and he would have like a dream of of that. And I was always so confused. I thought there was going to be a reveal. And in my research, I was trying to figure out where was Xavier during this time? What actually was the story? And I I could never quite find the answers. Yeah, that was very mysterious. I, I didn't know what to make of that either. Okay. Uh, the next one that I have is on, in my edition, it was on page 72. And this in the story is basically when Wolverine has just figured out um, that something's not right, that he's in a different reality. He's running from his former S.H.I.E.L.D. team that he was a leader of. And uh, he gets rescued by Luke Cage and a bunch of street-level heroes. And um, we finally get to see the reveal of Clint Barton Hawkeye He's back from the dead, and he's going to get the Back from the Dead award. And I guess this one probably should have had a little context. But in Avengers Disassembled, he dies, and it's a really big deal. And so for him to come back like this, you know that something is crazy. And, you know, they gave him a full panel for it. Looks great. Who is that behind him? Is that Cloak? Yes, from Cloak from Cloak and Dagger. And Clint Barton's costume is is sick like he looks so badass i love that purple costume. i didn't know that he was such like a such a hard ass always like arguing with cap i didn't really know i don't know much about him i haven't read a lot of him in the comics yeah i, I think he kind of goes through different phases i have i've read some where he's kind of more a little bit more jokey but yeah he's hardcore in this one and i think is is he one of the heroes from the get go who who knows that something is wrong? Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that, but um, I I think as soon as he learns that about Wanda, the context here is that during Avengers Disassembled, Wanda wasn't dating Vision. Wanda I think was having a little bit of a fling with Hawkeye and a little bit, I think with Cap as well, or like after that, there was some sort of love triangle going on. And so he is kind of involved in this. So it was a big deal that she killed both Vision, her former lover, and Hawkeye. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know that he's dead at 
at this point. And when he finds out, he kind of just pieces out for most of the story and he comes back at the end. Um, and yeah, we'll get back to that in a little bit. Cloak is cool too. I wish I knew more about Cloak. He is, he just seems badass and is very powerful. They kind of use him a lot in, I think, these events to just, you know, transport people because that's, that's always a big problem in these event books. Um, but, I just love his, again, his sort of, his shroud and the way that he moves people, I think is just so cool. His cloak. <laughs> his cloak. My next award is the Royalty Award. And this is, goes on on um, issue six. And it's whenever they're announcing all the different people are arriving at Genosha. And it says, announcing the House of Magnus. And you just see the shot of Magneto and his royal family, and they are decked out in sort of regalia that looks like, you know, um, foreign kings and and queens, and they just look so awesome. I love the designs and costume work here. Oh, that one is a great one. Adam, I wanted to kind of get, get with you about this. W- what is your take on Magneto? Like, how do you feel about him as a character and how he kind of fits into the X-Men universe? I mean, I love his position in the X-Men uniform universe because I think the dichotomy of him and Xavier is kind of like this perfect yin and yang where they complete each other and they're kind of always going to be competing over who has the better approach um, to the mutant human relations because they're just they have different philosophies. He's a big ends justify the means guy, which a lot of times in theory I support, but I guess in practice I'm not as interested in it, especially if it's Magneto's way. Um he's just a very he's an, a really interesting figure to me because he's very conflicted. He kind of goes has different runs as a hero and a villain anti-hero yeah i love the film version with michael fassbender i really really like that version of magneto personally yeah i I, i've always just been a massive magneto fan and i think it's like when you have a character that has is conflicted and doesn't know and and well at the same time i mean he is pretty unflinching uh at many times in his run on what he really thinks should happen but He's just he just has depth, I think, in a way that I find some of the heroes to be just so good, almost like too good, too goody goody. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, I love Xavier. Don't get me wrong, but um, something about Magneto's conflicted self, the way he has to deal with his children, sometimes turning on them. I mean, he kills Pietro in this. He he legit kills his son. Like you know. Um, who gets shortly resurrected by his sister. But I, I just love him. I, I always wish I knew a little bit more about Polaris, um, the his daughter with the green hair, because I don't I don't think she, she gets explored as much in like traditional X-Men stuff. I think she has a big role in X-Factor, but I just don't know as much about her. I'm always interested in her because she has some of the same uh, magnetic powers as Magneto has. Yeah, I don't know her at all. I honestly didn't even know that he had a third child i thought it was just the twins it's polaris what do you got next well what do you know what do you know all right so the next one i got is on page 100 and at this point a bunch of the heroes have 
figured out that they're in a false reality because there's this little girl named Layla who has the power to make them all kind of wake up and remember their other reality. And so she's going through and doing it hero by hero. And this is a two page spread of Peter Parker, Spider-Man remembering his entire reality. And you basically get the condensed history of Spider-Man in a two page spread. It's incredible. I want to name off all the things that you get to see in this two-page spread. So we've got I'm ready. Gwen Stacy, we've got the Kingpin, we've got the Lizard, we've got Green Goblin, we got Flash Thompson, J. Jonah Jameson, Venom, Carnage, Mary Jane Watson, Doc Oct, the marriage of Peter and Mary Jane Watson, Aunt May, and I can't, is that, is it Harry Osborne in the top left? I can't figure out who that one blonde dude is. Not sure, to be perfectly honest. I was I was trying to piece that together as well. Not sure who this one dude is, but... And of course, you've got a spider. And so this is just Peter being overwhelmed with the fact that um, he's not actually married to Gwen Stacy like he thinks he is. He's had this entire other life where Gwen Stacy died, where his Uncle Ben died, and uh, he's just now remembering it all. It's a kind of a it's a rough day for Pete. You, you can tell Bendis loves Spider-Man so much in this because th- that whole issue is literally just the heroes waking up and remembering themselves and uh, and remembering who they are. And some people get a page, some people get a panel, some people get like, you know, a quarter of a panel, and Spidey gets a two-page spread, if not even more on either side of it. I think because there's kind of this thing in the Marvel Universe where it's kind of agreed upon that Spider-Man has had the roughest life out of any of the heroes and out of anybody. And there's, I, I, I know there's this joke in Daredevil where it's just like, he has a pretty rough one too. And it's just like, well, at least you're not Spider-Man. Like, he's he's got it. He's got it bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ooh, he's had a rough run for a while. And I think Bendis kind of, I mean, that one, it it ends, whenever it goes to House of M, we see Peter Parker wake up next to Gwen Stacy, happy, going to check on his son. And it's just like, man, like, this this could have been his life. And it's 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 frustrating. And whenever he learns of, of it, he's just like, he has the hardest time. All right. My next award is going to be the... It wasn't Magneto. It was Pietro Award. And it's this moment where we have, um, we've, we first learn and we're kind of going through this where we're, it's a confrontation with Wanda and Doctor Strange. And we're, the, as the reader, we piece it together. But as soon as Doctor Strange says it out loud, you turn the page and you see Pietro and he is just running so fast it's this really great dynamic shot of him like pivoting and smoke is just billowing up behind him and rocks are shooting out and you really get to see sort of the power of a speedster and how they could completely one he's deceived everyone but now his speed can really take down people really fast and i thought that kind of turn and the 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 look on his face is just really powerful here well the next one that i got is on page 128 and this gets my award for 
The Reason for Crossovers. And this is another incredible two-page spread of all of our heroes just diving into action. Wolverine's front and center. You got Spidey up in the panel. Tons of people are there. Captain Marvel, Danny Rand, Daredevil showed up for, you know, out of nowhere. Matt Murdock. She-Hulk right behind Wolverine. Again, very scantily clad. Something for the boys out there. But this panel is incredible. And this is why you read huge, massive crossovers. So you can see all these incredible superheroes smashed together in two pages. Yeah, it's it's that moment in Avengers Endgame when everybody's filing out of the you know doctor strange little circles and you're just getting so hyped that that is that moment in a two-page spread and i thought that exact same thing that was awesome and i there's always that moment in like issue seven or eight of a um, you know of an event book it's great my next one is going to be the tetris award and this is when we confront Wanda, who is, again, once again, losing her mind, and she's realizing, oh, Lord, this isn't real again, and Clint Barton is confronting her, and she just, bam, in one shot. This is in issue seven, and his body is disassembling into a million little Tetris pieces. They blur out, so it looks like they're using some cool sort of digital filter to make it blurry and it is just so intense the way her power set can just wish you out of existence it is i love that oh yeah so great um we mentioned in the first impressions that there is uh, a variant cover that's kind of in this similar style with with the scarlet witch wanda maximoff herself getting the tetris treatment and it's just like a really really creative way to show someone disappearing from existence I, I you know what i'm gonna throw one more in here i'm gonna throw one more i thought i thought we were tit for tat but it looks like i have i have one more this one is best lettering we gotta give shout outs to the letters on comics guys they do great work this is Issue 7, page 20, and it is right when Magneto is losing it on Pietro, his son. He goes berserk. He's screaming, you've destroyed everyone and everything. And whenever I'm showing this page to Adam on my computer right now, almost half of the panels on this book have these, you know, big call-out letters. And we see, boom, boom as Magneto is throwing these huge metal orbs, I think it's a sentinel like disintegrating. Um, and then you see Spock and a, and a piece of rock hits Pietro. And then boom, again, uh, lightning is like shooting out of Magneto's eyes. And then just, I, I just find the lettering here to be whenever it's it's bursting out of the bubbles, the speech bubbles, and, and then just into the panel to be so awesome and colorful as well. Oh, yeah. Very forceful, very impactful. You know, if you were watching this page in a movie theater, you would be shaking. The seats would be shaking because of these letters. Yeah, and it it's just really that way where letterists can heighten the art and bring sort of, you know, we're we're reading words, so we're we're using that part of our our brain. We're we're seeing, you know, what's happening, and then they're kind of 
with their lettering, bringing in some sound, some slight sound so that we can imagine it and the way it's incorporated in art, I always just find fascinating and interesting. It's something only comics do. So I love that. Yeah, that's incredible. Some, you know, some other sensory stimulation. Let's take it, Adam. I I don't know if we talked about this, but let's take a stroll over to Adaptation Alley. What do you have for us today? Oh, man, put me on the spot. I do not have a lot today for Adaptation Alley. Well, you know, let's talk about this. Let's talk about some of the big themes and what it sort of means. So one adaptation thing is this is heroes fighting other heroes right there's no like external villain it the villain in this are avengers so we've seen that in batman vs superman we've seen that in civil war what do you think about heroes fighting other heroes are we tired of that are we do we like that as sort of like could that be another movie or are we kind of sick of that at, at this point I think that's like an an endless like an evergreen story point where good guys turning into bad guys is interesting cuz you know you always want to see like the team fighting each other because they're so strong that you want to see how these powers match up and they're not usually fighting each other. And then I think it's just an interesting, you know, you don't want to overdo it obviously, but I do think it's an interesting dynamic to have members of the team have to fight each other, have to bring each other back to the good side. Um, happens all the time in comics cause it kind of is a way to show new personality traits or whatever. You know, but speaking of Adaptation Alley, we there is a pretty big TV series that's about to come out, um, WandaVision. And we just, you know, just earlier this week, we got to see a trailer for it. And it was quite striking. I don't know. There could be some shades of House of M in there. Yeah. And, and I was going to talk about that. We try to keep this um, pod very evergreen. But I think this is a moment where, you know, WandaVision features Wanda, and we don't know the direction of the next phase of the MCU where we, you know, sit and breathe in 2020, you know, summer approaching fall 2020. But as I was thinking about Adaptation Alley, you have to create a villain or a force that is big enough for everybody to kind of take on. And if anything, House of M has shown us that Wanda's power set is big enough to like be a massive threat to our reality. Um, I, I think you're dead on with WandaVision. I think WandaVision, it looks like it is set in the mind of, of Scarlet Witch. And I, I don't know exactly what's going. It, it's, it's either that or it's some sort of, you know, digital reality of the vision. I, I just don't know. It looks so wacky. But I'm I'm excited they're exploring her more because both her, her and Vision, you know, I think besides, you know, maybe Age of Ultron have been kind of backseat Avengers a little bit. And they are kind of two of the most powerful of the Avengers on the team in the movies, at least. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I really don't think that they've explored either of those characters much at all. In fact, their relationship to me always seemed a little... Um, I don't know if shoehorned is the right word, but just a little quick. It seemed like it had progressed really fast. And I thought, when did they become so close? You know, he knows her favorite meals and all this stuff. Um, He is a a robot or an android or something. So not, you know, 
Not surprising that he knows a lot about her, but I'm curious to see how they do it and if it ties into the larger MCU anymore. And that's like a really, you know, setting her up as a kind of antagonistic force that can be equally as devastating as something like Thanos is really smart. Because it's like you get to, in comics and in, you know, this new MCU way of movie making where everything is kind of connected and these stories keep going, you get to a point where you have to, it gets harder and harder to top yourself, especially with villains and their powers, you know? And the same with the heroes and their powers that they, you can't make either side too powerful because where can you go from there? And so in, in the last Avengers film series, Thanos could, you know, he could control all of reality with the infinity gauntlet. So what do you do? How do you make a, a powerful character, a character as powerful as him, you know, gives them control over reality. Yeah, that no, that that is an interesting call, and we, you know, we don't know where this going to go. But and then I'll say that we talk about House of M being this huge thing, and talk about where this could go as this huge thing. But then Wandavision looks super small scale, and that's kind of what excites me about it. Is maybe they're just going to do sort of like a little mini House of M. It's like. You know, this little sitcom, it's like sitcom of them where they're just, you know, in this little world and it's just a couple of them. And I, I'm not exactly sure, but um, let's wrap this up, Adam. Um, I wanted to kind of bring it around to kind of where we're going to go from here. As I was saying, this is the start of this event run that Marvel Comics started in 2004, 2005 with House of M. Next is Mark Millar that does Civil War as the next Marvel event. And then from there, it goes into Bendis back on Secret Invasion. Those are the two that are going to be upcoming in our um, Marvel event series. This this That won't be the next ones that we do. But like we said before, Marvel not having the graphic novel back catalog that other publishers have we're going to kind of go through these so i'm i'm excited to kind of keep exploring these and i think this is a good start i'm really excited to keep going with the big marvel events um especially because i was really into following civil war i had some very strong opinions on the way it played out and i can't wait to revisit it honestly yeah absolutely and civil war you know is is quite different from the movie as well so it'll be it'll be an interesting revisit are there any less Things you wanted to touch on in House of M, any last considerations? It just kind of reminded me of this like love for superheroes and that aspect of comics because nowadays I don't read a lot of the classic capes. Um, I just, you know, kind of moved more towards like the indie creator owned stuff um, that's just different and maybe a little weirder. But reading something like this kind of reminds me about like why I got into comics in the first place, the thing that kind of attracted me in these superheroes are such a huge history uh, part of the history of comics and i mean you understand why and it 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 kind of made me feel like a kid again yeah and i i you know to tag along to that i think this is just such kind of a good place to start and pivotal piece because this is modern comic storytelling and it really kind of shifted the way superhero stories went where they where they did go bigger and and they did at the same time have these you know really solid character moments where they were developing the plot and connecting to the next and i mean you have a writer and artist at the top of the game i mean this book looks 
so awesome. It is really, you know, what they call widescreen comics. It looks like it could be a film. It, it really is just sort of this big scale, you know, um, action piece. And I, I, I thought just revisiting it was just fantastic. I mean, X-Men, any X-Men book, I'll always be on board with. So it was great seeing them also take the lead in this. But I think that's all we got for this month. Uh, Join us next time. Follow us online to see what we're going to read. And that's all we have for Comic Club. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.